0: Welcome to Theatrically Speaking, the very first playwriting podcast. My name is Jonah Knight. Season 1 is republishing the long-lost first episodes of the show from back in 2007, and Season 2 begins the new episodes. Now a few things have changed since 2007, like the website. For more information about Theatrically Speaking or my other podcasts, please visit actualstorypodcasting.com. Next, back in 2007, you could number your episodes however you like, and I did this very creative numbering system that included episodes 4.1, 4.15, 4.2, and no actual episode 4. The numbering that the episodes have in your feed is the order that you should listen to them. So, welcome in to the Theatrically Speaking Wayback Machine. It's time to talk some plays. I hate movies, I don't watch TV, I can't read books And I don't take kids to the zoo Video games are gonna rot your brain How you doing? This is Theatrically Speaking, episode 6.2, almost a playwriting podcast. My name is Jonah Knight. I am the host of this show... Thank you for tuning in. It looks like our audience is growing a little bit more every week. That is very cool. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, queries for me about anything, about a future episode, an idea, a topic, any sorts of feed for sort of feedback like that, uh, feel free to send me an email over at Jonah, uh, at jonahofthesea.com. Visit the website, www.jonahofthesea.com. That's very cool. I encourage you to do that. Last week, I put up uh, a new little thing over on the blog there uh, as a part of the show notes, as a separate little entry to the show notes there, uh, the link of the week. I will do another one this week. I think that's kind of fun. And even if it's something that you're not particularly interested in, you know, at least it's me giving you guys the opportunity to see a little bit more about me and things that I find interesting um, hanging around the internet and things like that. So 6.2. This is the second in three episodes that deal with the writing of technical requirements in your script. Last time, we did set some paints. Today, we're going to do lights and sounds, and next time, we are going to do costumes and props. I think that this is actually kind of a cool thing. It's something that is pretty different uh, as far as your writing technique for a play script, Uh, as compared to the incorporation of tech with other scripts. There are some very unique, I feel, considerations that you should take into account when, when writing your play. And I know that we have a number of folks that are listening that are interested in playwriting, but have not necessarily written plays or maybe working on their first piece or two. Some uh, people that are coming from other forms like comic books or film or fiction that have found this show helpful for them uh, in sort of putting everything in perspective. And and I'm happy for that. I'm happy for the feedback that I've gotten from a couple of you guys. I think that's very cool but what i want to start off with before i get into the specifics of sounds and lights i wanted to talk a little bit about what is what it, what does make uh, writing a play script a little bit different from some of the other scripts out there so so just in general you're out and you're uh, you're writing a film you're writing for television uh, something like that you're you are treated by all accounts as as a hired writer uh, if someone is hiring you to write on a tv series Certainly, your contribution to the episode as a staff writer or as a primary writer is pretty significant, but it doesn't end there. And same thing with film. You turn in your draft, producer sees it, director sees it, actor sees it, and, uh, and they give you feedback, they do changes, they do the whole thing, and maybe the writer is the person tying it all together, maybe there is a team of writers doing that sort of thing, but it is not solely the writer's vision. Uh, and in fact, I would say that in film, it is most likely the director's vision, uh, the producer's vision in television. Uh, So the writer is there. The writer is making uh, significant contributions, but it is really not their story. And that's not a good or a bad thing. It's just the way that works. If you are interested in having total control over telling your story, might I suggest writing for fiction? Uh, Because fiction, you do have total control, and you don't have to worry about issues with your technical requirements and that sort of thing. And so, if you, want, um, if you want to have nobody telling you how to write your story, how to, how to present your story, then that would be fiction, I feel. Uh, now, fiction, as compared to most of these other forms, like theater and music, if you're playing with an ensemble, if you are writing a comic book and you are not also the artist and the inker uh, and all of that sort of thing, then you are working as part of a team, So, if you are new to playwriting, I think that it is useful to remember that, yes, the playwright has a very significant voice in the production of a play. In fact, uh, I would argue that that the playwright's voice and the playwright's vision in theater is more important than in film and television, and uh, to some extent, depending on the dynamic comic books... uh, uh, also, I would include, um, perhaps to a lesser extent, audio dramas uh, and professional wrestling is all about the performance of the actors and, and, uh, and that sort of thing as well. But but this idea of writing your story and then giving it over to other people to help bring your story to life is something that should always be in the back of your mind when you are writing for theater. Unless you are the actor writing a one-person play for you to act in, and you're going to direct yourself, and you are going to do all the tech yourself, then you as a playwright must, as as a requirement of this industry, interact with other people. Uh, and that is something that uh, technical requirements and being specific about your tech in your script uh, it should always be something that we're thinking about. Uh, so... And if you are like the one actor uh, writing and directing and doing all of that thing for yourself, I think that you're missing out. Even if you're the actor and you're writing for uh, a, a piece for you to perform in, go outside the box. Find yourself another director. Find yourself some tech people who can really help and bring that group dynamic there. I think that that is one of the strengths of theater. And trying to bypass that influence isn't necessarily worthwhile. Uh, it, it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily help. Now. Now, what is important for theater is assembling the right team of creative people to work with. And if there are mistakes in your casting or in your hiring of designers and technicians and all of this sort of thing, then that can certainly bring down the the production. Uh, but there is that common at, that uh, that that adage that people have been saying forever that if it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. You're, if you have amazing tech designers, great directors, they can't really fix bad writing. They can try to disguise it, but they're not going to solve problems for us, for us as writers. So I think that is something to just to file away back there and to keep in mind that these people are here to help and that they are here to augment the story and they are here to help tell the story a little bit better, um, but... But uh, we have to help them. We have to make sure that what we are putting in the script acknowledges their jobs, acknowledges the strengths and weaknesses of specific areas of technical uh, design within a a theater production. Okay? Okay. So that said, let's take a look at sound a little bit. And I'm going to start with saying that this is not about musicals. This is about a, a regular play and incorporating sound elements into a standard production, into a standard play. All right, so um, so one of the things that you could be thinking about for your sound effects uh, is just general ambiance and the setting of your scene. Uh, a good example of this, something that I just did recently, is at the beginning of On Island, uh, I've put in, in my script, that there is... Um, um, it starts off with, with uh, an actor standing, waiting for uh, the the ferry to arrive. She's on Martha's Vineyard. So she's waiting for the ferry to arrive. And I've written in that there's maybe some seagulls. Maybe there's the sound of the surf. Maybe there's a steamship whistle. This sort of thing. And I, and I wrote it in not as maybe, but in that those sound effects are there. Now, I did that not necessarily... Um, requiring that those sound effects end up in the production. On Island is a play where the setting and the environment is very significant to the characters and is very significant to the plot. So by starting out uh, writing in the script that we have seagulls, we have surf, we have uh, steamship whistle the reader, the director, the actor, the producer, the tech people are going to see that. And right away, they're going to have, hopefully, an association that stays with them throughout the course of reading this script. And that association is beach, is island, is is that sort of thing. Now, if I start off um, a city, a, a play set in the middle of a city with some police sirens or some cars or or whatever, that kind of thing, uh, it's it serves the same sort of purpose. Now, in the production of this play, if those sound effects are cut out, I don't particularly care. There's um, there's no dialogue in that scene or in any scene where, uh, you know, it says something like uh, uh, sound effects of seagull. Person A turns to person B and says, hey, look at that seagull. Listen to the way it's making its noise. It sure sounds weird, doesn't it? Now, if I had put in direct references in the dialogue to sound effects, that would give us something different. That would be... Um, that would be using sound as a sort of plot device or as something that uh, triggers character or triggers, um, you know, story, that sort of thing. And that's different. Uh, using it as ambiance, me writing it in there to, um, to help establish setting, is one thing. And because it's not referred to in the dialogue, it can be removed, if the if the uh, producing entity of this play decides that, the, you know, they're a small theater company, they don't have a sound system, they can't put in sound effects, I've given them the opportunity to. I've put it in their mind, but it is not, the plot does not hinge on whether or not they can come up with a sound system and whether they can come up with somebody really good who can find, you know, seagull noises. So now, if I had required a particular sound effect... ...to help trigger plot. That would be a different story. And so let's say that instead of seagulls... uh, ...it's a cell phone, right? Okay, so telephones in general... ...are just a a pretty common sound effect... ...in contemporary writers' uh, uh, work. Because people got cell phones. There's phones in your house, usually. If you're at work, there's a phone. But this creates an interesting dilemma... ...for the producers... So your basic, your two choices here are either have the sound, have your, have your telephone sound come in from wherever the speakers are set up, which means probably off stage somewhere, off left, right, it's above you, it's somewhere else, it's off stage in the speakers, or try to figure it out, uh, to try to rig it in such a way so that the telephone sound is coming from the telephone, right? Um, which makes sense, but it means that if you're doing, uh, you know, a play where it's not a cordless phone, where it's a, it's a play that you know the, the phone is actually plugged into the wall, then either I've got to run a speaker, or I've got to run some electrics out to the phone to trigger the phone actually going off on stage, so that the sound is coming from the object that is generating the sound in the story, or if it's a cell phone, maybe I have to dial. You know, whoever is up in the booth running sound and lights, the stage manager or somebody has to actually dial that cell phone so that it goes off. For the most part, cell phones suck. Uh, and relying on a cell phone to go off on cue is asking for trouble. And we know this in our life, right? Uh, you dial, and you could be standing next to somebody, and you dial their phone, and there's a lag uh, because your signal's going up, and there's all kinds of whatever, whatever technical issues are going on, there's a lag. So if I'm writing in my play that, uh, the, it's, so it's a mystery, and this detective is interviewing a witness, and he's about to get the information out of the witness, but then the phone goes off, and there's a little bit of a delay there, and that phone, and I've written this in such a way, so it's very dramatic, right, and the, the witness is about to break down and actually give up some information, but the phone goes off, and it cuts off their line of dialogue, that would be a, a very specific example of something that I would say of av- tried as much as possible to avoid in your writing, having a sound cue that cuts off a line of dialogue, um, even if it's you know here's my line of dialogue period, sound effect here, line of dialogue referring to sound effect. There's always the possibility, no matter how much money uh, the theater's putting into the budget, no matter how gifted designers and electricians you're dealing with on your play there is always the possibility of something going wrong and if you if you are requiring that certain technical issues in the play trigger plot prevent plot that they are that they are key to the development of a scene you are you are asking you're setting yourself up for an audience to have uh, to be pulled out of the story. Because if that if that phone is delayed, then the actors have to sort of, you know, ad lib a little bit. And if they're good, then that's great. But don't do that to them, because chances are you're going to find some actors who are really into the moment, expecting their sound cue. It doesn't go. And what? And there's nothing. And there's nothing. Uh, this is perhaps uh, even more common with people writing in gunshots. Uh Gunshots in the, in the play are also... Very hard to pull off, so again, you run into the issue with do you run the the gunshot through the speakers so that the guy is center stage firing the gun at someone, but the sound effect is coming only off on the left or or somewhere that is not related to the object, or do you in the gun put in uh, some blanks or something like that? Um, you may or may not know if you don 't work a lot in theater that dealing with firearms theatrical firearms coming up with blanks and all that sort of thing is a huge pain in the ass and that's that is a prop issue but it's also a sound issue if you are saying that the gunshot is heard the gunshot is on stage the 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 sound of the gun is creating a reaction in the script this is um this is pretty big this is something that is often fouled up. In the last play that I directed for the new playhouse, uh, the Holmes and Watson, which I've mentioned previously, by Lee Shackleford. Check it out on Amazon.com. Um, Holmes and Watson, a gun goes off. Uh, and actually, uh, there are a couple of gun sound effects in this play. One is um, someone's outside, shoots a rifle through the window. There's, There's one... And then there's uh, two gunshots that actually go off on stage. So one of the characters picks up gun, shoots gun, right? And as much as you try, and and I'm getting into props a little bit here, but as much as you try, as much as you really want this to work, as much as you practice, uh, I don't know, of the ten performances that we did of Holmes and Watson, I think maybe two times, maybe two or three times, gun did not fire as planned. Um, And I think that's fairly common uh so by writing in those sorts of requirements you must accept the fact that tech stuff is going to fail it is going to fail not all the time but some of the time so do you want your audience to see it fail some of the time or do you acknowledge that in your crafting and in your writing of the play to minimize it to such an extent that you've minimized the uh the potential for it to fail by keeping your tech relatively low key. Um I would and I would say think about that sort of thing that is uh that is something that we all have to have to deal with there. Uh in thinking about um our sound effects. I think that's that's pretty big. The other the other thing that comes from sound. So we've got um non-plot uh we've we've got sort of setting the scene sort of sound we've got sound that is integral to a scene and then there's music and again this is not for musicals i think that one of the one of the problems that uh, problems maybe challenges one of the things that playwrights have to deal with these days is that unless unless you're hardcore theater unless uh, you're probably going to watch more television or see more movies than plays. In part, perhaps, because um, ticket prices for the theater are, are up there. And once you got the TV, even if you don't have cable, you can still turn on your TV and watch a bunch of stuff. What TV and film do very well is incorporate music. We they do montages. We've got, um, you know, we've got uh, we've got a lot of sound. We've got scoring. We've got um, pop songs. We've got whatever incorporated into the writing of uh, a film or television that sort of thing. It is it is something that we as playwrights see being done in the telling of stories. And we think, okay, I'm going to try to incorporate music into this play that I'm writing. I have almost never seen it done well. Um, and I've seen it tried fairly often. And as a um, as someone who enjoys music, who, who likes music, I want... Uh, and, and actually, one of the things that I do as I write is I will assemble uh, songs to help keep me going creatively. So I'll try to come up with, uh, when I think about developing my characters, I think about what their favorite songs are. I try to find songs that sort of represent this story to me, and I'll make a playlist, and I'll listen to it again and again as I am writing the, writing the play. And sometimes those songs become so important to me, and I associate them so much with the play that I want to require that that song be in there for the audience but I've seen and and so that's what I want as a playwright that's what I artistically want but every time I go see a play try to do this it fails it fails pretty significantly so there are two ways that you can incorporate music into into a play one is is uh, having it being a recording and the other is having it being uh, having it be live. So if it's a recording, it's coming out of the speakers. And if it's doing that, then what is that doing to the audience? You know. Now it's one thing to be uh, you know pre-show, post-show, intermission, that sort of thing. That's fine. It works there. Um, and maybe fading in a little bit into a scene or something like that at the beginning, uh, depending how you're you're opening the play. Uh, that could work. That could be fine. But so halfway through the first act. You're trying to incorporate this recording of a song, and and the reality is that, um, much like running water or frying eggs on stage, music for live for a live theatrical performance is not organic, and that's just the sad reality for all of us writers who want to incorporate recorded music, because the audience is sitting there and everything is coming from the actors. It's being, you know, generated from there. They've got their gun, they've got their cell phone, whatever, whatever. We're trying to get the sound to come out of the stage. And then all of a sudden, we've glopped on this artificial sound. Because theater is, to a large extent, realism. Now, whether or not the the play is realism, we are watching, the audience is watching the play unfold before us. That's, that's real. That's in the room with us. That music that's coming in is not real. It's fake. Your other option is to have live music, again, not in a musical. And this could work if one of your characters is a musician, and you could just, and you have a piano on stage, and every once in a while, and I've, uh, what was that, what was this play? House of, House of Blue Leaves? I don't think that's it. Uh, I forgot this play. See, Spontaneousness. Uh, remembering this play where uh, one of the characters is a, is a songwriter, sits down at a piano every once in a while, clanks out a melody. That's fine. That's this guy doing what he does. He's trying to write songs. You can have somebody out there with a guitar um, playing their guitar every once in a while. And that's cool because it's incorporated its natural... Um, if you're doing, you know, some kind of Shakespeare and you have traveling musicians that are covering your intermission, maybe they come out and they start playing and, you know, it's live music and that works. And, and that is the way I would say that does safely incorporate sound into live theater. Yeah. So I would think about that a little bit. Uh, be careful, be very wary of requiring recorded music unless again, now, if you have a radio on stage, they turn on the radio and sound comes out of that. That's real. That's coming out of the scene. Um, whereas just like an underscoring attempt to be like film is not theatrical. It is cinematic. It, it belongs in a different medium. At least that is my opinion. With that, as far as lights go, um, uh, a couple of things here. We sort of run into the same sort of thing. Are are you requiring specific light cues to set? Uh, the ambiance in which case you know like it's dawn so you're so you write in there that uh the characters are sitting out on the mountaintop and they're looking out and they say wow the sun's coming up and a little bit later they're like wow the sun's come up a little bit more and what you've done is you you're then requiring that the lighting designer find a way to create the idea of a sunrise perhaps something a little more subtle um, and And perhaps a little more organic for the writing of theater if you if you do same scene two people out there watching a sunrise, talk about how it 's early in the morning, talk about how how they are watching the sun come up, and if there is if that theater company has a good lighting designer and not just a good lighting designer, if they have enough lights if they have a lighting system that allows for them to create a sunrise then power to them they'll do it but by saying by by requiring in the dialogue that they are that they are driving the lighting design is is the same sort of thing it's asking for trouble what so i would say that generally with these sorts of things give your designers ...a lot of room to move. Give them a lot of room to be creative. Let them, let them add in sound effects of seagulls. Let them like add in light cues for a sunrise and that sort of thing. But don't necessarily require it of them. Don't force them to do it. Because as soon as you force a designer to design... Um, something very specific and integral to the plot, you're asking for trouble. They may do it. There are some great designers. There are some great theaters that can do some amazing tech, but not all of them can. Uh, the other issue with lighting is um, what if it is plot-driven, like, um, like uh, oh, what do you call them, police car sirens or, or lights going off, and you've got your flashing lights in the room. Same thing. Um, you can do that, or like headlights of a car, you know, suddenly the headlights come up, they go down. And we did that uh, in, in the early Miracle. We created headlights from a, a car. And uh, and it was basically somebody standing off to the side holding two really big, you know, uh, spotlight flashlights and pull them up and then pull them down. And, that, you know, that, that's fine. That works. Um, I don't remember if that was required. In, actually, that was required in the script. And that did come off okay. But it was also... It worked out because of the way that we were producing that play. That wasn't an issue. It could have been an issue depending on the space that we were in, depending on um, what the budget was, depending on whether or not we could have done it with two flashlights or whether we would have had to set up two specials or two spotlights or something like that to try to give the effect of a car. Uh, We found a way around it. Um, Your particular theater, depending on what they've got, the the theater that's producing your play, may not have an easy time with that. May not. Um, So I just keep that in mind. Uh, again, you can say, hey, it's dark. Um, and then, you know, maybe writing in some, some tech requirements that are in stage directions, but not directly referred to in dialogue would be the approach that I would recommend. Unless, of course, there is some tech requirement that is absolutely integral to the telling of the story. And that's totally fine. And you can do that. You can absolutely do that. Um, and now the thought that I'm going to, leave you with here though, that what I've just done is I've given you the logical perspective on writing tech requirements. But I have to say that if you, if you as the writer are not a light designer, if you are not a sound designer, what makes you think that you are in any way qualified to design lights or to design sound in your script. Uh, and this is so this is the um you know the, the knockback here is that if you don't know what you're requiring, so you're writing in some sound or some set or some costume requirements, and you don't know really what that means. You're writing it in because you think it would be very cool and you require it there. If you don't know what that means, why would you presume to require it if you don't know the amount of work that goes into something? Uh, And this is something, one of the things that that we find in, one of the things that is happening in theater in general is that there are a lot of folks from different um, writing backgrounds, be it journalism or be it fiction or be it whatever, that are writing in tech requirements and these are people who have never worked on producing a single show. The most valuable thing that you can do, if you're a writer from another form that wants to write a play, the single most valuable experience that you could possibly have that would aid your writing would be to go down to your local community theater and volunteer to do tech, uh, work backstage on their next show. Because if you don't know what actually goes into producing a show... Um how can you be expected to write it? You can do character great, you can do plot great. you can you can you know you can tie the whole thing together and make it a great read. But if you have never actually helped hang lights, if you've never hung around with a sound designer as they've tried to move speakers or tried to run electrics to make a phone work, then I would say I would say that you're not really qualified to write. Or require specific tech in your show. Um, sure, it may work great, and if you want that total control and it needs to be that way, perhaps you should be writing fiction. Perhaps it should be uh, being written as a comic book or some other form. But for theater, if you what what I would absolutely encourage you to do is get some hands-on experience. Especially if you have any tech requirements at all, just help build a set, help paint a set, and you see how many people it takes to do something, you see how much actual training and skill it goes into to make it come off right, and it suddenly opens up so many more opportunities for you. It helps your tech be more realistic, more attainable by the producers, and it is something that will become, with time, Better integrated into your story and more realistic for your story. Um, so much like anything else, uh, you know how you, you probably can't expect to write a really good comic book unless you read comic books. You probably can't write professional wrestling unless you watch professional wrestling. Uh, it's all that sort of th- it's uh, it's the same thing. Um, go out there, go work backstage on some lame production of Amadeus or uh, Equus or something, and then you'll see, then, then everything will start to click and fall into place. That is what I would highly recommend. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for listening. This has been episode 6.2 of Theatrically Speaking. You can send me an email at jonah at jonahofthesea.com. Check out the website, www.jonahofthesea.com. You can look for me on Facebook and MySpace. And that is it for today. Thank you for joining me, and I will talk at you later. Nowadays, man, I would take advantage on your ass, and if you left me, I wouldn't be forlorn. Cause I live without an acorn. My life is the other. My life is the other. My life is the other. But TV be more funny.